الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على المبعوث رحمة للعالمين وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد قال الله تبارك وتعالى في القرآن المجيد والفرقان الحميد يا أيها الذين آمنوا آمنوا صدق الله العظيم وقال وقال الله تبارك وتعالى ولنبلونكم بشيء من الخوف والجوع ونقص من الأموال والأنفس والثمرات وبشر الصابرين صدق الله العظيم So my dear brothers and sisters and dear friends whoever is listening at this time Today is our day of Eid something which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us at the end of each month of Ramadan every year a day of hospitality from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala this is probably an Eid that we've never experienced before where the majority of people would not be able to come to a masjid to pray and the entire Ramadan went this way that the majority of people probably did not get access to a masjid and had to pray at home. Alhamdulillah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is still present. He is always present and that's why we can pray anywhere. But the Muslim has a special contact and association with the masjid. It's the house where they go and they say, Allahumma ftahli wa rahmat. My Allah, O oh Allah, open up the doors of your mercy for me. So it's a place of mercy. So this is what was missed. We ask Allah that he compensate everybody for this. But the main thing is that it's a moment of reflection for us that the entire month of Ramadan has gone. In some countries it's opened up in Australia. In some parts of Australia 10 people can congregate. In some parts 20 people can congregate. In Norway, 50 people can congregate. In America, in some states, people can congregate. But here, we still have not opened up. And there could be various different reasons for that. Our job is to pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because whenever there's a roadblock, whenever there's a hindrance, whenever there's an obstacle, we call unto Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we do our part, which is to make the effort. Now, just to understand this is a time where atheism has been going on for many, many years and it's been in the forefront doing away with all forms of religion, especially in Europe, it done away with Christianity. That's why the Christian faith has been pushed out of the public sphere. Uh, it's been pushed out of the media, it's been, the mainstream media, it's been pushed out of workplaces, it's been pushed out of school and that's why Christians, Muslims, Jews and others have to actually sometimes make a huge effort and fight and lobby to allow certain religious uh, sentiments to be expressed in the schools or in workplaces and in other places. So it's become a godless, while Europe was a Christian continent before it became a godless continent. Not just Europe but many other parts in the world. Russia tried to kill God. They thought God was dead. This is what some of the prominent atheists said. 
prominent communists said maybe a hundred years ago. And now they're all, all saying that God cannot be killed. Even in China they try to do the same thing. But Christianity and other faiths are increasing in China. So God is not dead. And one of the biggest things that we see is that in the current pandemic, in a godless world, where it would be a selfish world, because there's no ethics, the ethics come from, uh, morality comes from Allah, comes from a godly system, whether that be Christianity or Islam, we think we have the best system because the Prophet came to complete good character. But what we saw is that economies had to be shut, money had to be lost, business had to be closed down, and we had to suffer the loss just so we could save human lives. So it was either save human lives or save the economy and save the money. And eventually, nearly all countries made that decision that human lives are more important than is money. We still see many who are playing half half the game, trying to open it up faster than they should do. And everybody wants everything to be opened up for different reasons. But obviously politicians and so on, they obviously want it open for economy, economic recovery, and to lessen the harm, and so on. But this shows that the value of the human being, inherently everybody understands. And that's why businesses had to take a loss for this to be uh, important for this to work and let us say that there were people who suffered in this there's lots of people who suffered with the covid with the coronavirus many many died as well so now the question is why did they die and why did they suffer what did they get out of it <laughs> so for an atheist for a person who doesn't have god they will assume they will they will they'll have no reason for this this will just be misery for no reason, it would be purposeless suffering. Because there's nowhere for them to go. The person suffered in the world, disappeared from this world, that's it. All chances are gone because there is no hereafter. In Islam, the faith gives us an understanding that if you're suffering through a calamity like that, which is not of your own making and doing, and it's not a punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then it is a source of mercy for you and it's ultimately a source of shahada for you possibly, which is martyrdom, which makes us at least feel good about our loved ones who may have gone like this. And many, many people went. So the problem with atheism is that it assigns who and what we are to some aimless, mindless processes. Sometimes they say it's the genes that are doing this. They're trying to give an answer of why certain things happen without a cause that you can see. For us, it's easy. It's Allah. Allah made it happen. It's not a coincidence. It's a God incidence. So, for example, just about five days ago, 27th night, four days ago, or three days ago, 27th night, one of my friends who was in Hajj with me, he's a doctor, he donated. He donated to... Uh, a masjid, a good sum, in America. He then donated to another madrasa in America and then he donated to Whitefield Institute. He sponsored a student. And he said, then he sent me a message. He said, I was just thinking after this that I've nearly cleaned up my balance, my bank balance. And, but 
it's all good for the good, so it's good. And he says, within 10 minutes, this is less than 10 minutes, he got a call from someone for a consultation appointment for the next week, which is going to pay him about five times the amount that he donated to us. He said, I wasn't expecting it. It came literally out of the blue. Now, that's a God incidence. Allah says, and I know this person is, mashallah, very faithful in that sense. He's got a huge you know, love for Allah and everything. So, Hasanah. Who's going to give Allah a goodly loan? Allah is going to multiply. He says, within 10 minutes it was multiplied. I was just thinking, I've given all of this, I've cleared up my balance. Now what? But it's all done for a good reason, and he gets this contract. And where does that come from? How is an atheist going to process this information? For us, it's Allah. It's very much Allah. We've all got experiences like this to show Allah is in our lives. So, one of the reasons why people suffered through this, and are still some people are suffering through this, even though things are becoming better, why people suffered so much, psychologically and so on and so forth. And many of us may not know that because if you're a person of faith, you probably did suffer. Personally, I may not be a very strong person of faith, but I thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed the lockdown. And I wish it could carry on. Like I'm actually scared when it's all going to be opened up. Right? Um, you see, because if you look at it, if you go back to the 16th century, there were constant visits from plagues in London. Many, many people used to die. The Black Plague was a big one. But there were constantly plagues. It was an, quite a frequent occurrence. People were used to it. Then if it wasn't for that, then maybe the Vikings would come and slit your throat at night. So there was that fear. This sounds very familiar to some other countries in the world even now, but not for the UK, not for the Western countries. People are forgetting that we, all, we already live in a time when people are dying it's the age of cancer, AIDS, syphilis, train accidents, car accidents, plane accidents, paralysis. And then for many people in the world, air raids and murder and killing. So the novelty of this pandemic was obviously exaggerated, maybe for good reason, but it was exaggerated, made bigger than... I mean, it was a big thing, there's no doubt. But there are so many other ways people can die. Because from the time we're born, we're already sentenced to death. We already come with a sentence of death. From the time we're born, there's nobody that doesn't come with that sentence. Right? Before any virus was released, even before November or December when it was first discovered in China, we already had a sentence of death hanging on our head. And those people who died, they were already sentenced to death. And many of us who are sentenced to death were going to die, have died, and will die in unpleasant circumstances, not on the bed, not calmly, not through natural causes, but maybe from unnatural causes. This is all just known and understood. So all the virus did was just added one more excuse, one more way of sentencing a person to death. I don't want to put it crudely, but if you look at the grand scheme of things, people die in and out from various different things and maybe even more from certain things as compared to the virus. So that's why death is certain as we know it, which Allah has mentioned. 
And the other thing is, both from a Christian perspective, Christian theological perspective, and I'm assuming a Jewish perspective as well, but definitely from a Muslim perspective, there's no promise for a pain-free life. In fact, this word is called the Darul Ibtila in Arabic, the abode of tests and pains and trials. So anybody who doesn't know that, doesn't acknowledge it, doesn't accept it, is going to be living in a very miserable world. And anybody acknowledges that, when you know something could happen, it's just easier to deal with it. When you think it can't happen, and then it does happen, it's much more difficult. It's all psychology. Human beings are very psychological being. So you need to be prepared for all eventualities. So then, question is that why does why did this coronavirus cause so much panic? So, what we have to realize, especially for people in the West, you see, for people in many people, not all people, but for many, maybe even a majority of people in India, it wasn't a virus that caused the panic. It was the fact that they wouldn't be able to eat. They wouldn't be able to earn a living because they were day-to-day workers. They were already suffering. They were already struggling each day to put food on the dastarkhan. So they were more afraid of dying from hunger than from sickness. But for us in the West, what we have to realize is that for a very long time we've been very secure. We constantly read in the media about air raids in Palestine and people being burnt and evicted from their villages in Myanmar and suffering of people in places like Assam and Bangladesh and India and other parts of the world. We hear about that, but we then there are places where there's constant floods and earthquakes and we think London is very safe, UK is very safe. We don't have those kind of problems. So especially in the West, we've been secure for a very long time. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. Not something to complain about, but it's something to thank Allah for. There's a lot of ailments that we just don't have here. We've got a wonderful health system. We've got wonderful security. We've got a wonderful welfare system. So, a lot of the ailments, a lot of the diseases, right, have been eradicated or minimized. That were there for millennia. People used to die from polio year in, century in, century out. And in this last 50, 100 years, eradicated so many of these things through vaccines and through other measures. And then there's a lot of other things which happen in other parts of the world that don't happen with us. Our economy is relatively stable, doesn't have the fluctuations as some other currencies where one day they're wealthy, the next day they, they could be poor and they, their money is worth nothing. Alhamdulillah. So that's why the reason why this has brought so much fear and panic is because we're just not used to this kind of a thing. It's been a very long time. So why? It's because it now is reminding of our real vulnerability. The Quran in so many places, over and over again, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala condemns those who are mukathibin, who deny Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his message because and Allah constantly says, Innama amwalakum wa awladakum fitna. Constantly. Lots of times it connects uh, a denial of Allah with having a lot of, with having wealth 
and children. Because when you have wealth and children, you have stability, you have confidence, you feel you have security, vulnerability goes out. Because you feel like I'm very stable, I, I'm not in need, I've got my money which can do a lot, I've got influence and I've got children, I've got influence. So that gives you a false sense of security. So then you forget your morality, sorry, you forget your mortality, which means you forget that you're going to die and that death is imminent and it's going to happen and we already have a sentence of death on us. So this has shown us our vulnerability and it's actually shown us how vulnerable, how helpless we are. Because even the Prime Minister got it. Nobody was free from this. Anybody could get it. The wealthy, the ones with good healthcare access, those with private healthcare access, those without it, the old, the young, everybody could get it. So it reminded us of our mortality and it also showed us how helpless we were and it showed us that we can't really control everything as we've been so used to doing until now. Because that's the sunnah of Allah in the world, that whenever things get ahead, right? remember this whole new modern system is relatively new. A few hundred years haven't passed over this. Not even a hundred years have passed over. We talk about Pharaoh, he was there for hundreds of years. When Musa made dua, Right? When Allah, uh, when Musa made dua to Allah that, Oh Allah, you've given Pharaoh so much of this world, adornment of this world, so that he could cause corruption and everything. You should, You should finish it off. Allah says, But he took about 40 years for that dua to be accepted. Allah has his own timetable. But because we only have life in fact 70, 80 years and we've lived through this particular period, we feel like this is the status quo, this is the norm. So this is a major upheaval that we've experienced and we don't even know the harms of this yet. Because that's still going to come about, the long term. But anybody with faith and iman is going to see through this. They will have no post-traumatic stress disorder out of this. They're not going to worry about this because they know this is norm, this is fine. They're enjoying this, in fact, to a certain degree. They're riding the wave. So, this shows us that we cannot control everything. And we just hope that we can learn from this. The more people that learn from this, the more people we can encourage to learn from this, the better. Because at the end of the day, it could come back. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could come with a more severe punishment. This was bad, but it could have been worse. I mean, they were expecting a lot more people to die. But mashallah, I think a lot of people did turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And some of the hospitals that they made didn't have to be used. Otherwise, they were expecting a huge, much higher death toll. You know, the numbers they were giving at the beginning, alhamdulillah, that did not happen. So, a few things that are important for us, um, especially since we've just come out of Ramadan and now the shaitan is back and we have to, in Ramadan you have a tight schedule that is very religion oriented, very ibadat based, surrounding ibadat because that's what good believers try to do. But when Ramadan finishes you feel like because the shaitan comes back out you don't have the rigor of the fast and everything. So what's important is to continuously make tawbah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because we always make a little mistake or a slip up 
or do something suboptimal. That's why a constant tawbah and ruju' ilallah, returning to Allah, is very important as Allah constantly reminds us in the Quran. Ya So tawbah and nasu, constantly on a daily basis, we just repent for our sins. And it will just make us better people because that will take off and eliminate the sins from our life. What we did since yesterday, we, we did tawbah today, we're forgiven, so we're constantly going ahead with less baggage and burden. Number two, which we generally don't hear about too much, is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, a lot of the thought, especially for uh, most of us, is that once we've said the kalima la ilaha illallah and we've become believers, that is enough. We've said la ilaha illallah, now we're Muslims, we just do worship and ritualistically we just keep doing stagnant whatever we're used to doing for the last 50 years, 30 years, 20 years, that's all we're going to do. But if you look at the understanding, if you look at, for example, Surah Al-Hadid, verse 16, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أَلَمْ يَأْنِنِ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا أَن تَخْشَعَ قُلُوهُمْ لِذِكْرِ اللَّهِ وَمَا نَزَلَ مِنَ الْحَقِّ Hasn't that time come for those who believe? Those who say, لا إله إلا الله, those who say we believe in Allah, hasn't the time come for them that their hearts finally develop a reverent fear for Allah, succumb and subjugate, humiliate themselves and humble themselves for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Give you an example. There are certain people who may live close to a masjid and for the last 30 years, 40 years, they come for Jumu'ah and that's it. They don't come for any one of us. They could. It's not like they can't. They don't. Just stagnates. There are some people who, some women, for example, who do not wear hijab, and now they're old, they're grandmothers, but they still do not wear hijab. It's, there's no development. There's no development. The heart has not succumbed, at least to that level. There's some people, when it comes to other forms of outward expression of faith, like maybe a beard or something, if the beard is small from 40 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, it's still the same. There's some people who uh, come to the masjid one salat a day and they could come more, they don't. Like that's enough for me, that's my Islam. Now the thing is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that أَلَمْ يَأْنِنِ Hasn't the time come for those who believe iman wala, right? that their hearts Sub, uh, sub, uh, uh, have uh, khushu is a humility, humbleness for Allah, where you just give yourself to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the dhikr of Allah. So now they start remembering Allah more and that which Allah has revealed of the truth. And they do not become like those pe- the people of the faiths before, those who were given books before, like the Christians and Jews, right? who for a, they said they were faithful people, they believed in the book, but for a very long time, they remained stagnant, so then their hearts became hard, and the majority of them were transgressors. Now, what's verse 17, what's the next ayah of Surah Al-Hadid after that? أَنَّ اللَّهَ يُحْيِي الْأَرْضَ بَعْدَ مَوْتِهَا 
What's the connection between these two? This one is talking about the heart succumbing and humiliating themselves for Allah. The next verse is, know, i'lamu like know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revives the earth after its death. You know when there's a, as we say, banjar zameen, like just totally desolate, nothing's growing in there. You work on it and the rain comes or you irrigate it and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enlivens it. So the connection between these two is that Allah brings this idea straight after this one that if you can take an example from your fields outside that they can be brought back to life, your hearts can also be brought back to life. That's why another verse in Surah An-Nisa Allah says, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, aminu. Oh people who believe, believe. You already believe. Allah is already saying, oh people who believe. Because when Allah speaks to non-Muslims, He says, Ya ayyuhal nas, ya ayyuhal insan. Whenever he's talking to believers in the Quran throughout, he says, Ya Yuladina Amin. Right? That's you can tell the difference. So he says, Oh people who believe, Aminu, believe. Mawlana Abu Hassan has written a book, um, uh, and in there he mentions that this is about tajdeed of Iman. Reviving your faith. So this idea that we're Muslims because we were born Muslim or we took shahada five years ago, twenty years ago for converts, and now we're sorted, no. You have to actually revive your faith. Now, if you look at the Quran, uh, I just did that tafsir, and it's amazing the message of the Quran. Number one, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you see constantly throughout, Allah is emphasizing a few things. He emphasizes Amr bin Ma'roof and Nahi and Munkar. Because that's the only way our deen is going to help your own family to understand the deen, prohibit them from the wrong, encourage them not to do wrong, encourage them to do the right and others as far as possible. Number two, aqeemu salah Establish the prayer. Anybody who reads the Quran and still doesn't pray, I can't believe that that would be possible. There's a constant message. aqeemu salah wa atu zakah And protect yourself. However, the more underlying theme to that, for example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, inna salata Allah in another place says in another place the main reason that Allah wants from us in salat and everything else is actually to remember not just to do the acts the whole point of the salat salat is just one of the most comprehensive means of the dhikr of Allah because it's the only dhikr aside from so it's the only dhikr aside from hajj in which you use your body to do dhikr otherwise for tah, uh, for tasbih you say subhanallah you use your tongue for tahmid you say alhamdulillah you use your tongue for kalima la ilaha illallah you use your tongue for durood sharif you use your tongue right for uh, hamd you use your tongue Everything else you use your tongue, the only time you physically use yourself is the salat, where you're actually supposed to stand, bow, prostrate, and so on, and turn your head, and all of the rest of it. All of that is part of the, should be for reminding us of Allah. And the only other worship which you do once in a while, and some people will only do it once in their life, is the hajj. Going from Makkah, Mukarram, Mina, Mina to Muzdarifa to Arafah, all of this, Arafah, Muzdarifa, Mina, all of this, all of that is a walking dhikr of Allah, for the person who's got the right hajj. So that's why the main purpose of our salat is also the remembrance of Allah. So when you read the Quran, 
what you'll get from the Quran is essentially just the various different names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that you'll see them in action. Sometimes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is showing his mercy, sometimes he is showing his might, sometimes he's punishing, sometimes he's compassionate. That's all you'll see in the whole Quran. It's just to encourage people to remember Allah. To remember Allah in your daily life. And the way you can start remembering Allah is to become more conscious of what is our requirement and why we're doing it. To get to the more spiritual underlying aspect of our deen. So why we're praying. Not just that I finish it off and I, I just complete it, but why am I praying? And this is not the time to explain the, the various different ways of improving our prayer for the remembrance. But let's just take one message home from this. That in all of this thing, we need to come out of this pandemic with a better, better person in all of us. Because every individual who becomes better will, inshallah, help the rest of the community. That would be that one more person in the dunya who Allah is going to attract more mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we all contribute. Don't think we're insignificant. Every one of us is significant and plays a part in this. So let us not forget that. And the way to do that is to get closer to the Qur'an, closer to Allah, by remembering Him more and reviving our faith and constantly in the focus of updating our faith, of refreshing our faith. Then it doesn't matter what our faith was like before, just like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will take that desolate earth and ground and field and crop and bring it into something living, then inshallah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will do that for us as well. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to assist us and to open up these masajid again, make us worthy of that mercy. Because if the masajid have been closed, then the masajid are the places of the mercy of Allah, because that's the dua we read when we come inside. Is it that he doesn't want to give us that mercy? That's why we've been prohibited from coming into the masjid. That's something to really think about. So we need to become entitled and worthy of the mercy of Allah again, and then these masajid will open up, insha'Allah. So may Allah make us worthy of his rahmah and his mercy. May Allah grant us compassion.